to be part of our spiritual community. Because one of the primary gifts that Mark brings to our body is the gift of prophecy, which Paul says is the most important gift of all. It's the mouth of God speaking to us here and now. So Mark, come teach us on the gift of prophecy. Why is prophecy so important? I've said this to you before. This is not in the notes. This is just popping into my head right now. Everybody, every Christian, no matter how mature you are, no matter how founded you are in your faith, your relationship with the Lord, we go through times of great doubt. We go through hardships. And one of the enemy's most effective tools, one of the most effective lies that he uses in those dark times is he says something like this, God has forgotten your name. God's forgotten you. He's forgotten your name. And you begin to believe that because you're in dark times and the light hasn't broken through yet. So you're in that dark time, you're in that place and you're feeling despair or anxiety, fear, whatever. And someone comes up who doesn't know you and says, I think the Lord's telling me to tell you that you're in this dark place and you're feeling this despair and fear. And he just wants you to know he hasn't forgotten your name. Simple little message. Life-changing. In that moment, it's the most powerful thing you could possibly hear. Takes you from darkness back into the light. Look, no matter how well we know him, all of us doubt from time to time that he's maybe forgotten our name. And prophecy is his little business card. Here, have this. And it reminds you of who you belong to and that he hasn't forgotten your name. That's why Paul says, I mean, I want you to go for everything, but go for this one. We should all be able to hear his thoughts and repeat his thoughts. And uh, this is, thank God, a prophetic church. We see a lot of this going on. But you know what, guys? You're going to see a lot more. Amen. We're going to teach you how to do this. We're going to give you opportunities to do this. And uh, we're, going to, we're, we're going to have a place that's full of God's heart and message for people. Yeah, April 15th, we're, <laughs> April 15th, we're teaching. We're taking a day, and we're teaching on healing, on prophecy and deliverance. Healing, prophecy, and deliverance. And a lot of you guys don't even know what those words mean. But we're going to explain what those words mean, and we're going to train you in how to do it. We're going to have practical application right there in the class. So you'll get to experience these gifts and begin to grow in them. And then we're going to give you opportunity to do it wherever possible. So, prophecy is really important, and we've been talking about, last week I started with, uh, how do you receive a prophetic word? We, we, th- we think all the, the, the important thing is how to give a prophetic word. That's really important. But so is how to receive a prophetic word. If we don't obtain the raw data, interpret the raw data, and apply the raw data accurately, the prophetic word is, is wasted. So it's a three-function thing. So we talked last week about how to receive the word, particularly interpretation and application. But I want to talk today about protecting 
your prophetic word. Someone gives you a prophetic word, and it's really significant. And what's the first thing? And we have, let's, let's do a proof text for this. The Lord speaks something powerful, and the enemy comes along as soon as possible to remove it from you. What's the text? The word is sown, and the ravens, the crows, come to pick it off the path just as soon as they possibly can. That's the enemy's agenda. When you've received a good prophetic word from the Lord that that has the potential to change your life, he is going to come to try to take it as soon as he possibly can. So we should expect that attack. Oh, it's terrible, you know, that I got this great word at church, and then this horrible attack came, and all this doubt. Why would it be otherwise? The measure of the quality of the word is the measure of how hard the, the enemy has to try to take it from you. The more significant it is, the more you're have to, going to have to fight to keep it because he doesn't want you changing. He doesn't want you more in love with Jesus. He doesn't want you accepting his forgiveness. He doesn't want you living a life of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he's going to come and do what he can to take it. So our job is we we must learn how to protect a prophetic word. So the first thing is, it's pretty simple. The Christian life in everything we do is a joint venture between you and him. It's it's like uh, he, he provides the bank account and you get to write the checks. And because it's a joint venture, there are two mistakes that we will routinely make when we've received a legitimate prophetic word. And the first one is passivity. What do I mean by passivity? Well, it goes like this. The passive response is to say, this is an incredible word. This is a phenomenal word. This is a miracle word. I can't even imagine that it could come true. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just sit back and do absolutely nothing I'm going to be passive, and I'm just going to wait for the sovereign, all-powerful God to make it happen in my life. Any of you guys know what Youth Youth with a Mission is, YWAM? Youth with a Mission? It was started by a guy named Lauren Cunningham decades ago. He had a vision from the Lord, and he saw tsunamis, massive ocean waves, breaking on the shores of country after country after country around the world. And he asked God, what does it mean? And the Lord said, those are waves of young people that I'm going to send out. And you're going to lead this thing. They have sent out millions of young people. They've been, in, they've been doing this in countries. You, they've hit every country of the world. And I used to train on their bases, did did a lot of training on the YWAM base in Canada. And uh, it's a legit organization. It's absolutely amazing. But can you imagine Lauren Cunningham receiving that prophetic word and then sitting down and saying, you are the sovereign Lord. So I'm going to sit here and watch football until my phone rings and thousands of young people phone and say, would you please organize something so we can go to the nations of the world? I'm just going to wait for God to do that. Is that going to happen? Absolutely not. So the first mistake we can make with receiving a prophetic word is passivity. It's too wonderful for me. Therefore, I have no responsibility in it. 
But what's the second mistake we can make? If, if the first is passivity, it's all up to God. What's the second mistake? It's all up to me. I have to make this thing happen. It's so, it's so life-changing, so wonderful. I mean, I'm just going to go out right now and I'm going to force it. I'm going to take responsibility. God has spoken it, but I have to make it happen. Well, here's the problem. If it's a good prophetic word, it's too big for you. If it's legit, it's not something you can do. You can't make it happen. How can you, how can you choose to do now what God plans for later? You see, the, the rush is, I, want, I need to make it happen right now. But maybe that prophetic word was through a telescopic lens that takes the future and brings it in close so it seems like it's right now, but really it's for later. So as soon as you try in the flesh to make something of the Spirit happen, it becomes the flesh. And it brings no fruit, very often. So somewhere between, I don't have to do anything, and I have to do it all, is a way of approaching a prophetic word which will see to it you're neither passive nor hyper-responsible. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you have heard this story before, but um, uh, many of you haven't. And it was when I learned what the answer to all this was. I learned through life, and I teach through stories, because that's how I learned. Back in the day in Canada, we had a, a large church moving in the things of the Spirit in a phenomenal way. And this guy came to me with his, his prophetic word. It was a dream. And in his dream, he saw a mansion on a hill outside of the city, the top of a hill. It was a large three-story gray uh, clapboard siding mansion. And in the dream, he and his wife and his kids were living in this house. And it had many, many rooms. And in all of the rooms, there were pregnant single moms who they'd taken in to care for while they waited to have their baby. It's a fantastic vision. It's a wonderful thing. So he came and he said, this is what the Lord showed me. And the house is going to... This is back in the day, back in the 80s, when things weren't as crazy. Inflation, you know. He said, I need a, I'll need a million dollars for the house. And I want the church to give me a million dollars for the house. Seriously. And... Uh, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, that wasn't a word from the Lord. Well, the million dollars wasn't a word from the Lord, but the house and the vision and the dream and everything was. I believe, yeah, you really did. You heard from God. That's, that's, the, that's a valid ministry, and that's the one you guys should be in. But I said, but we don't have a million dollars. And even if we did, we wouldn't give it to you. But let me ask you a question. This is the wisdom that came, and this is where I began to understand what God was doing and, and how we should view this. It, it, was, it was a word of wisdom. I said, um, do you have an empty room in your uh, house now? Do you have a spare room? He said, yeah. I said, well, how about you bring a single mom in and let her live with your family through the pregnancy, whatever else happens, and then 
do that again a couple of times with a single mom, and then we'll assess it. And if it's working for you and your family, and it's working for them, we'll raise the money to put an addition on your home to add two more bedrooms to your house. He said, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and he walked away. Seriously. And that was the end of the... That was the end of the vision. That was the end of the prophetic word. I believe that was the prophetic word. I believe that was a ministry for his family and for those girls. But he wasn't willing to take the next little step that he could take, the family could take, that little, little basic baby step, let's just try this once or let's try this twice and see where it goes and then let's let God take it from there and add to it. He wasn't willing to do that. So that prophetic word amounted to nothing. So the best way, when God gives you a word, whether it's a big one or a small one, avoid passivity and avoid hyper-responsibility. And the way you do that is a simple transaction. You pray to the Lord and you say, Father, what's the simplest thing I can do tomorrow that leads in the general direction of the fulfillment of this word? What's the baby step? I've even said, Lord, what can I do this afternoon? Like I received it this morning. What's the next thing I can do today that takes me in the general direction, not accomplishes it, takes me in the general direction of the fulfillment of the word? And you know what he always does, don't you? You obey that little baby step. You just go this far. What now? Oh, gave me another little baby step. And slowly you move to the fulfillment of what he said. Right? So that's the first word of wisdom. You ask the Lord, what's the next thing I can do, the soonest as I can do it, that moves in the general direction? Now look, somebody says, um, someone lays hands on you here and stirs up the gift of evangelism. So you have the gift of evangelism. You're going to be able to tell people about Jesus. They're going, to, they're going to come to faith because of things that you say. And they said that to you this morning at the end of the service. We had a ministry time and somebody laid hands and said, you have the gift of evangelism. What should you do next? What should you do next? Tell somebody about Jesus. No, that's too hard. <laughs> You're freaked out. You're a human being. You're frightened. You're afraid of failure. But what you can do is go to the 401 class after church. And the lunch is free. You get food and you get spiritual food and you get commissioned and they lay hands on you. And now you've got some confidence and some faith and you got a little technique under your belt so you can go out and give it a try. So somebody says, hey, you know, you got a great... You're going to have a prophetic ministry. You're going to hear from the Lord really really accurately for people. What should you do? What's a baby step? You go to the April 15th training session on prophetic ministry. But that's too obvious. That's manipulative on my part. I don't forget about that. What else might you do to start getting good at hearing the Holy Spirit? 
Pardon? Sit quietly and learn to listen to God and pay attention to the thoughts that are coming into your mind because a bunch of them are going to be Him and a bunch of them aren't. But you got to learn. You start by practicing. Yes, He will. If you'll take the baby step, and you'll start to listen to him and say, I, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your thoughts for people. I want to know what you're doing. If you'll do that, and that's in your heart, he will begin showing you how to do it. Baby steps. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And we can buy your book. And you can... <laughs> Doggone it. You know, somebody just got a word from the Lord. For this entire church. And you didn't hear what he said because he was very gracious about it. But he said, they should buy your book. (laughs) Reluctantly Supernatural. Is that not a good title for a book for the church in America today? Reluctantly Supernatural in an Age of Reason? It's It's an entire course on prophetic ministry. A to B. We anticipated what's what, what's every question a person could ask about prophecy? And let's address every one of those questions. So um, you should get the book. Yeah. I think John's feeling awkward that this is a product endorsement. You're, you're not, not going to have to say anything. But this, this, is what we're, this is what we're wanting to do. One of the worst things that can happen in the Christendom is for the professional clergy to be the ones that prophesy and evangelize and do all the stuff. Our job is to equip you to you go. So you do it. Everybody, right? So a couple weeks ago, um, I think you were teaching last week or Dennis Rainier a couple weeks before. I can't remember. And yeah, and she's sitting right next to me and she said, I think I have a, I think I have a, a, a word for somebody or a thought, something for somebody. And I said, well, if you know who it is, she goes, I know who it's for. It's that girl over there. And I said, well, she goes, what do I do? I said, well, go over there and, and tell her. She goes, but what if it's wrong? <laughs> right? And I said, so what? At least you're going to try. You got to take a risk. And then she just stood there. And I said, take a risk. <laughs> and she went over there and she gave it to you, Ava. And then she came back over her face of beam. And she's like, it was right. It was right. Yeah. Right. And you, isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's how it works. Right. Absolutely. And Ava, I think you told me about it, and it rocked your world. Yeah. Like it was. It wasn't just one of those that was. It wasn't just one of those that was like a. Come up, come up here for a second. Let just. It's good. It's good. Um, Well, I like had. I've been dealing with really bad anxiety lately. And it was to the point where the day before I'd been laying in bed, I couldn't even get out of bed. I was so like, I was laying there paralyzed with like, I can't move. I'm so anxious and for seemingly no reason. And I was sitting there during service and I could barely pay attention to the sermon because I'm sitting there just like, I can't even breathe. I can't get a satisfying breath. I was just so anxious and I wasn't making it super visible. I feel like I, I wasn't telling a lot of people about it. Um, And then she comes up to me and she's like, I feel like I have a word for you. And I was like, okay, like, go ahead. And she goes, I feel like this whole time, this whole sermon, the Lord's been giving me the word hidden anxiety for you. And I was like, no, that's not accurate. (laughs) 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 Um, But then, yeah, and 
that she basically told me you you can tell people about that it's okay to be broken and ask for help because I am the person that tends to help everybody else with things um, and so she she basically yeah she prayed over me and then she also it was super random she also was like um, also your worship is super great I don't know if you're just like doubting that but your worship is really great which people compliment me on that all the time but they never say I don't know if you're doubting that because I think people don't expect me to doubt that but I have I've been very self-conscious about my voice and um, just how I've been playing and so that was also just like that just hit me as well so, so <laughs> wonderful now what's really cool about this is uh, Linnea's in my Linnea and Gregor in my 20-somethings group we meet on Wednesday nights and all of this stuff all of this weird stuff is brand new to her. But her world is getting rocked. Yeah, I mean, she's moving in things she never thought she'd be moving in. It, it's so much fun to watch people come alive to the Holy Spirit yeah. and begin to experience what he's capable of doing. It's, it's uh, I don't know, it's like moving from a 19-inch cathode ray tube black and white television from 1951 to an 86-inch LCD with all the bells and whistles. It's like, I'll never go back to that old TV. Phil's TV. Phil's TV, yeah. <laughs> okay, next thing. Next, back, back on the notes here. Attitudes matter. Your, the attitude that you have towards prophetic gifts is far more important than you realize. See, our actions are determined by our attitudes. What we think ends up determining what we do. Does that make sense? So the thoughts you have and the attitudes you have within you are the raw materials that decisions get made from. So what is your attitude about prophetic words? Right attitudes make for right actions. Wrong attitudes make for wrong actions. So let's take a look at a verse. This one little mm, one sentence. Two sentences. This little verse. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all. Hold on to what is good. Let's dissect this verse and tear it apart. Because these three concepts, don't treat it with contempt, test it, and then hold on to what is good, are extremely important in how we deal with prophetic words. The first part, do not quench the spirit. The actual Greek word here means to throw water on a fire. Don't throw water on a fire. Don't risk putting out the fire. It translates in a, numbers, a number of ways. To extinguish a fire, to cause a fervent activity to cease. To cause a fervent activity to cease. Another way of causing a fervent activity to cease is to allow this phrase to become normal. Well, don't get carried away. Whatever you do, don't get carried away. 
you wouldn't want to look strange. Don't engage in emotionalism. Don't get carried away. Go back to sleep. (laughs) Just curl up like a cat on a bearskin rug in front of a fire in the fireplace. Just whatever you do, go back to sleep. No. Look, fervency is a God-given thing. So don't put it out. The Western world's problem is not too much fervency. The Western church's problem is not enough fervency. Because... We're reluctantly supernatural in an age of reason. We've become so rational we're incapable of fervency. That has to stop. The attitude Paul is focusing on is the attitude of contempt. Now you think, I I wouldn't be contemptuous of a prophetic word. That would be terrible. Another word he uses is despise, contempt, to despise, strong language. The word translates as treat with contempt, look down upon, or count as nothing. One of the problems with really good prophetic words is they're so wonderful we don't believe them. So we count them as nothing. We simply reject them. Or maybe they're so simple that we react with contempt. We not like angry contempt, just that's stupid. It's really dumb. Dennis McNally. Remember Dennis? We were up every January. I took a worship band either from Canada or from down here. We took a worship band up to do worship in his church for a major conference. And we were up there. And guys, you, you should, I wish you could experience Dennis's church. Pre-service prayer. Yeah, you're, you're feeling pretty good about our pre-service prayer, aren't you? Like, like the Lord's kind of showed up and, and it's getting fervent and it's a wonderful sense of his presence and we're pretty compassionate. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Dennis's pre-service prayer was an experience. They jam all these people in this room. They all show up. The whole church just about shows up for pre-service prayer. And then they begin calling on the Lord and they're shouting and they're jumping up and down and, and, it, and, and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's happened? Where am I? When do I get to leave? And it's, it's just holy chaos and I'm freaked out and I, you know, this is not for me. I'm not like this. I'm a, I'm a rational person. And, but I recognize it's God, you know, it's God. It's uncomfortable, but it's God. So I'm kind of trying to go with the flow. And then this young guy... Young guy, God says, throw away your watch. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not this watch. <laughs> throw away your watch. And everyone's, praise the Lord, throw away your watch. I'm, what the, what, what's he talking about? Time is in my hand, says the Lord. Okay. So far, so good. And I'm, I'm, I'm honest. I'm going, oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> like, what an idiot. 
This is a word from the Lord. Throw away your watch. Time is in my hands. So I'm judging, 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 judging. And then we get up to do worship. We get about, I'm leading worship. We get about halfway through the worship set. It's all planned out. Songs are all fabulous. Everything's going to be great. Nice presence of God. You know, nice presence of God. <laughs> polite. Polite presence of God. PPG. Yes, we're see- in this church, we're seeking for the polite presence of God. You're welcome, Holy Spirit, but please don't do anything. We'd appreciate your tithes and, tithes and offerings, Holy Spirit, but please don't get involved. So we get halfway through the worship, and I don't know, I can't explain it. I just stopped playing and stopped singing, and I just stood there and didn't do anything, and the silence filled the room. (laughs) The presence of God got so strong. We sat there for, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes in utter stillness, Nobody said a word and nobody moved. And the presence was so powerful. It was crazy. I was afraid to start another song. Like, I don't do a thing until God says it's okay. Because this is a precious, holy moment. And then the Lord convicted me. Mark. Throw away your watch. Time is in my hands. And I started repenting. God, that was so arrogant. Some prophecies are too good to believe and others are too simple to bother with. And so we just carry on, miss what God's trying to say. We need humility. We need a different attitude, you know. I'm not going to, somebody gives me a prophetic word, I'm not going to judge it. I'm just going to wait, see what God does with it. What's my baby step that I can take? Test, take the word, take the word for a test drive. What Paul is advising us to do is to remain open to any kind of prophetic word, no matter how simple. And when he says test the word, but test the word, what's really interesting in this Greek word that we translate as test, try it out. Find some way that you can try out this word as soon as you can. It's a baby step situation. But it's not so much what you have to do, but how can I begin to exercise faith for this word? How can I begin to believe in this word? How can I begin to factor this word into my decisions? Take it for a test drive. It also means to try out for real or to use it. The idea is that you should act as if the word is true, and try it out to see how it applies in your life. That's how you test it. Nobody, I don't know about you guys, but do you buy a car without taking it on a test drive? 
Have you ever just bought a car and said, yeah, I'm just going to buy a car. I don't care what it is. I'll just buy that car because it's the right color. And you never sat in it or you never drove it to see how it felt or what it was like. Phil used to be a car dealer. He bought all his cars without ever trying. (laughs) Phil. John said, I bought a couple of lemons from him. (laughs) Oh, you guys. You guys, you're crazy. Try it out for real. Use it. Take it for a test drive. What is the simplest action I can take as soon as possible in obedience to the word? That's the baby step thing. Try it this way and then see the results. Then Paul goes on to say, hold on to what is good. If it was a word from the Lord, why would he have to tell us to hold on to what is good? Why this admonition to hold hold on to what is good? What does he mean by that? Why would we have to be told that? If it's a word from the Lord, why do we have to be told to value it? Well, the short answer is we're a people of fits and starts. We're inconsistent in our commitments. We're easily distracted from following through with our spiritual callings. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just describing human nature. We are a people that make promises and often don't fulfill them. We say we're going to do something and often we don't. And this isn't a beating you up thing. This is just kind of who we are as people. We're like this. So he has to tell us, this is your nature. Now, here's what you can do to avoid that mistake. It's not judgmental. It's wisdom. Hold on to. And you know what's really interesting? That Greek word for hold on to, it actually means build a fence around. Protect. Build a fence around and protect that word because it's really important. Protect the word. Once you've determined it's genuine, you've got to make every effort to protect it and not lose possession of it. And why is that? Because the enemy comes, the birds of the air, come to take that word as soon as they possibly can to bring it to no effect. So the, the uh, burden shifts from God's responsibility to give you the word to ours to begin to protect it. This is particularly true of words that are in the too-good-to-be-true category. The big ones about your life that matter the most are the hardest ones to believe in. And they're also the ones the enemy wants to take from you as soon as possible. The usual reaction to a word that's too good to be true is not to believe it. And... What's the solution to that? Believe it. <laughs> and how do we practice believing it? Baby steps. Just do something that applies the word in some way, even if it's a tiny little application, even if it's the simplest little act. Take it, because as soon as you take it, he will, once you've taken it, he will give you more and you take it again. And you just simply do the baby step thing moving forward. 
application as soon as possible in some act of obedience is essential to protecting the word. Now here's, this is a message of opposites. His responsibility, my responsibility. Protect the word, whatever. You see what, like there's, there's two sides to all of this. Here's the other side. Where the, where the word is too good to be true, we dismiss it because it's too good to be true. But when it's really, really good, there's another way we react that's a big mistake. And that's to believe it so strongly that everything in the meantime is dissatisfying. Ever had that happen? Like God makes a promise and it's absolutely fantastic and you can't wait to have it happen and you're putting, you're putting all your eggs in that basket and you're looking into the future to say, that's when I'm going to be happy. That's when I'm going to be fulfilled. That's when I'm going to really be on fire for the Lord. That's, 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 that's. And it's way in the future. And what happens in the meantime is I start grumbling. Well, God, why haven't you done it yet? Here's the danger charismatics have. Our kinds of people, you know, that are into the power of God in a major way, believe in it, risk for it, etc., etc. When we're waiting in the meantime for the fulfillment of this, for the breakthrough, for the healing we've been praying for, for the person we've been praying for to become a Christian, for the change in our family dynamic, in our marriage that we've been waiting for, and we're, we're looking into the future for the goodness of God. Hello? We're looking into the future for the experience of the goodness of God, the breakthrough. We begin to judge the present moment as inadequate, and He's not coming through for me now, and where is the Lord now? So all those beautiful, wonderful acts of love that surround us every day, we lose sight of because we're waiting for the big thing in the future. And the meantime becomes mean as far as we're concerned. We begin to doubt his goodness because the big promise hasn't happened yet. So we begin to despise all the little things that he does every day. Three-story mansion versus putting an addition on the house. You know, one of the funny things, you know, little moments, little moments that are just little moments, but they're moments of the presence of God and moments of his love and communication. I was sitting in the backyard one time having my quiet time this summer, and uh, I said, what do you want to say to me today? I always ask that. What do you want to say to me today? And I got my pen ready to write down whatever thoughts come in and then we'll process the the thoughts and see if it was the Lord. What do you want to say to me today? I'm sitting in my chaise lounger. What do you want to say to me today? Within two or three seconds, a hummingbird goes like this. Hovers this far away from my face. He's looking at me and I'm looking at him and we're looking at each other and he hangs there for at least 10 to 15 seconds, which doesn't sound like very long, but... When the little bird is like this, and you're looking back and forth at each other, and then just, he's gone. I took that as something from the Lord, because I think it was. Do you know I've never forgotten that? There's all these moments, standout moments with the Lord that are so glorious, the big ones. But that was one of the little ones, and it meant so much. We are surrounded by God's communication on a daily basis. 
You know, we live in Southern California. We're not very thankful for the sunshine, are we? Until, until we've been living in Vancouver, Canada for about a thousand years and we've lost sight of what a beautiful day means to us until the beautiful day finally comes and we go, whoa, this is why I moved here. Not that other thing last week and what's coming this coming week and on forever and ever. We're surrounded by moments of his presence and his communication. And, you know, life is made up of little moments, isn't it? So let's not despise in the meantime what he's doing now because we're waiting for what he's going to do later. We should hold on to the word with enough tenacity to obey everything he's asked us to do in order to move towards the fulfillment of the word. But at the same time, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the little ways that he's communicating his love to you daily while you wait for the big one. Okay. Summary. If a prophetic word does not fit the present circumstances of your life, save it and wait and see later. Don't just throw it away. Two, if the fulfillment of a prophetic word, the fulfillment of a prophetic word always involves God's part and our part, always. Figure out which is which. It's the baby step thing again. Our reaction to a prophetic word should be in the middle voice. That's a Greek uh, language thing. You're neither taking responsibility for it nor are you dismissing it. You're not, you're not passive and you're not hyper-responsible. You're living in the middle. And most of the Bible, by the way, in, Hebrew, in uh, Greek is written in the middle voice. It's that balance between his part and our part. And our attitude towards prophetic words really matters. No contempt. No matter how small they are or how big they are, don't dismiss them. Put them on the shelf. Check them out every once in a while. What's the baby step I can take? And finally, we test the word by taking baby steps of obedience that move us in the general direction of the fulfillment of the word. Make sense? Okay. Now we're going to do an exercise. We're going to do a listening to God exercise and see what he has to say. Okay, close your eyes. I want you to look in your memory and remember the last or at least a significant or the last significant promise or prophecy that the Lord gave you. Something that he's communicated to you in some way that's like, this makes a difference. This is important to me. The last prophetic word that you got, maybe it was two weeks ago with Dennis Rainier. Maybe it was from Dennis some time ago or uh, someone in the service here. Or something that he showed you in your prayer time. Something good. Like a promise. Is anything coming to your mind? If something's coming to your mind, put your hand up wherever you are. 
Very good. Very good. Okay. Good. You got it? Now, are you going to protect it? Are you going to value it? Now we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak something, and this is going to be a good exercise. Holy Spirit, what is the smallest, simplest step, action, that I can take in the next day or two that moves in the general direction of the fulfillment of what you said? Holy Spirit, we need to know. We need your wisdom and your guidance. What's the next What's the next step? What's the next simple thing that I can do that moves me in the general direction of the fulfillment of this promise? What's coming to you? What do you see? What do you hear? What's he saying? What's he showing you? showing you something, put your hand up. Okay, by virtue of the value of sharing, is anyone willing to say what he said is your next step? Share it out loud. What did you say, Rick? Alright, so a while ago, God put on my heart to uh, read your book. Oh, to read the book? Excellent. No one's going to believe that. That took me a while. That's excellent. Okay, who else? What, 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 what did he say? This is John. He's new to us. He's visiting today. Yeah.
Yeah. Good application. Wait, 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 wait. There was a few more. Sure. Excellent. Yeah, practical. The next step. Okay, guys, we're done. Um, no, we're gonna. We're still gonna do something here. There's another application. Um, a bunch of you. He told you what to do. Gave you an application. Would you guys be willing to come forward? We lay hands on you for that. If you want to. If you, if you want a touch on the Lord, some power, some Holy Spirit enabling, just bring, the, bring yourselves forward for those things. We're going to lay, lay hands on you and stir that up. Pray for that. Uh, the strongest word that uh, I felt what Mark was teaching today was holding on to what is good. The, Satan's a thief. If you've had an encounter with the Lord, some of you that recently just got saved and you're doubting it, that's normal. But Satan will use that doubt to rip you off. Paul told Timothy, wage war with the prophecies that have been spoken over you. In other words, use your encounters with the Lord as a weapon to smack the devil upside the head with. He wants to rob you of every piece of God you get your fingers on. And you've got to decide you're not going to let anybody take it away from you or talk you out of it. It's yours. That's why he says, hold on to it. Hold on to what is good. All right? Okay. Um, this is going to be a step out moment for some of you. Linnea, I want you to come up and, and help us prophesy over these guys and pray over these guys. I was going to invite you too, but you're already standing here to receive. But we're going to pray for you, and then I want you to help us prophesy and pray over everybody else, okay? All right. I also want to say, right before we start here, the baptism on Easter, this little admin piece here, is for everybody that has not yet been baptized since you gave your life to Christ as an adult. So if you want to get baptized, come talk to me about it, and uh, we'll make sure that you get baptized on Easter. Uh, and um, there was something else, and I can't remember what it was, so I'll give it back to you now. So let's get the prayer team up here, too, because we want to lay hands on everybody who's standing yeah, here. Yeah, prayer teams, come on up. So just do a quick interview 
uh, what was it that the Lord showed you to do as your next step and find out what that is and then pray over that and prophesy over that. And if you've never given your life to Jesus before, uh, come on up and I'm going to pray with you uh, for you to receive Jesus as your Savior, your sins forgiven, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Prayer teams, yeah. Come on up and just start. Uh, what you guys start? Um, okay, you guys can start on that. End. Hey, Dan, go over there. You guys go that way. He's going to come this way. And you're going to meet in the middle. Here.
We just want to thank you again for joining us for service today. Uh, online community, thank you so much. God bless you. If you want more information, visit us at uh, gatheringplacechurch.org. Download the Church Center app for more information on events. You're more than welcome to hang out and, and worship with us, pray with us, receive. But if not, God bless you, and we'll see you next week for Palm Sunday. And just a quick reminder for those that are doing the 401 class that is located in Crown Point just outside of this hallway over here. So we'll see you shortly.